Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest, oh my God, I got to meet this guy last week. We were hanging out in Cabo, one of the most fun people I've met in a really long time. We got along great as a beautiful wife. We enjoyed each other's company so much. Glenn Stearns, the star of Undercover Billionaire, the CEO of Kind Lending. Welcome to the show, my brother. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. That was so much fun last week. We had so much fun. I was just going to say that I really enjoyed being down there. That was great. You know, now we sort of like we know about sort of bird watching, which is our own personal joke, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. We can do that. It's our show. Uh, We got uh, learned all about Casa Dragones and I had the best tequila with you. We did. We had a great time. And you opened up Mexico and look at it taking off, you know, it was crazy. It was all fun. It was a lot of fun. So let's talk about you. Enough about me. (laughs) So you are probably one of the most successful people I've met in a long time. And you actually started from really humble beginnings. I want to dissect all of this wonderful success. But for the sake of the audience, can you share a little bit about your start? Sure. I mean, I grew up in Maryland and um, very humble beginnings. You know, my mom uh, worked as a grocery checker and she cleaned homes. My dad was a printer. Um, You know, you you, you don't know what you don't know, right? We had bars on the windows. It's a very uh, interesting childhood. You know, I um, failed fourth grade, so didn't get off to a great start. Uh, Had a child in eighth grade. So when I was, you know, 14 years old and, um, you know, just a real simple life full of a lot of adversity that kind of paved the way for, you know, later in life, things didn't look so hard when you kind of run into some early brick walls, so to speak, you know? Wow. So let's just talk about that for a second. You were a dad at 14. I mean, wow. And it's like when people start thinking about just, I mean, the odds were against you. They were almost insurmountable, right? When you start thinking about success and you have this newfound responsibility of fatherhood, how did you sort of like find that in yourself to allow that entrepreneurial spirit to come out? Yeah. You know, I think, um, again, everything that happens in our life happens for a reason. And we, you know, at the time, I didn't realize it, but there are a few people that kind of came into my life that said, you know, you're going to get through this and you're going to be strong, Glenn, and be better off for it and and those kind of things. And I didn't understand them. I mean, it's not, you know, you think 14, what sounds young and it is young, but there are little things that come along with that, that set me up for what I consider success. Other people you can go either way, right? But I had to leave school early and go to work. I had to help out. And, you know, my mom helped to raise our baby. I was not a father. I mean, you think about it, right? I was more like a big brother. I didn't understand my role, really. Yeah. But I worked and I would leave school and then I would go do that a lot. And so it helped me with a great work ethic, right? And so, uh, you know, then the... the um, uh, my baby's mother ended up getting married when she was about 20. So she 
my, my mom continued to watch her every week, once a week after that. You know, I mean, she stayed in our lives. And then when I moved out to California, she came and moved with me. So, I mean, we've had a long history, you know, I mean, she lives, you know, right around the corner from us. So, uh, you know, it's really been a wonderful uh, blessing because I didn't realize it. You know, a lot of times when we find things that look like they're the darkest clouds and it looks like it's going to be a very, you know, uh, bad ending to something could really be a great beginning, you know, and in this case, that's what it was for me. I just didn't know it at 14, you know. You know what's amazing about you? You were telling me some amazing stories. And, you know, when people go through life and everyone goes through relationships and sometimes relationships have an ebb and a flow and a beginning and an ending. Yours just flow. It's like you're, you're, you know, the mother of your first child lives around the corner from you. You were telling me you bring everybody on family holidays. It it, it is such an idea of a blended family where you it seems as though anyone who enters your life becomes a part of your life. Well, I, I uh, you know, I believe that, you know, you don't, I look at some people that maybe don't look so fondly on their exes and you think, well, it's kind of a reflection of yourself because you pick that person, right? So just because we decide to, you know, part ways doesn't make them bad people, right? And so um, I've always prided myself on that relationship that comes, you know, I mean, I have, I'm taking 40 of my grade school classmates on a trip to our ranch here soon. I've got my high school and college friends. I've got my old girlfriends and, you know, everybody, we stay connected because they were good people. And I I don't know why, but, you know, for some reason, you know, it just seems to be a good thing to keep people in your life. If you've had them, you know, we try to stay connected all the time. It also says a lot about you and the way that you do relationships and business as well. So tell me how you started your company, because you started your company at a very early age. Well, yeah. And before that, because you're right, I think that whether it's business or personal, that a relationship to me isn't about taking something and using it up and discarding it, right? It's about cultivating it and growing it and keeping it in your life. And so you're going to have zigs and zags and things aren't going to go the way they're supposed to be. But there are times when we have to be there for other people. And then there might be times when they're there for you. Right. And that's a true relationship. And so with work, you know, I did start, shoot, I guess I started right at, right after college, I drove from Maryland out to California and found myself in a more in a, as a mortgage loan officer. And I did that for about 10 months and then I started my own company. And so, yeah, that was kind of crazy. I, I didn't realize it at the time, again, how crazy that would be. But, um, but you know, I, those people that worked with me then continued, mo- the beginning people, a lot of them for 30 years, you know? So That is insane. So tell me, okay, so you've had this company for 30 years or an iteration of it for 30 years. And so what did you learn? early on that allowed you to shift and not only survive, but incredibly thrive in these last three decades? What were the early lessons? Well, my first early lesson probably was not to kid myself, right? There were big, huge lenders out there. And I thought, 
it is not my time. I mean, these people have been around forever and I'm just a small ender. So I didn't try to take on the giants. I just, you know, went up next to them and learned and tried to, you know, get advice from some of the people that had been in the business for a long time. But what I ended up doing is, as I had this small mortgage company, I thought, well, I'm going to get into auditing. I'm going to get into title and escrow and other things. And I went out and got government contracts. And I became the largest uh, auditor for HUD in the country. <laughs> then at the same time, I became the largest um, title company for HUD. So I did about 75% of all uh, HUD transactions in the country. How and does that happen? I know. <laughs> How does that happen? It, it was crazy. You know, I, I got one con- government contract. I, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I... You know, I didn't understand anything about it. I was failing as a, as a title company or escrow company because I didn't have enough work. So I went to the government and said, how do I get some of your work? You know, you, you got to fill out this contract. I did. Um, I bid 50 cents lower than the person who had it before, oh not God. doing any, you know, real, you know, work on whether that would pencil out or not. And um a little backstory on that one didn't pencil out. Okay. I got the contract and, and you know, that old saying, make it up in volume. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't it, work. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> so um, I went back to the government and I said, look, I can't make this thing work. And, and they said, well, if you give us back the contract, you're, you're done as a contractor. You'll never work in government business again. Wow. And so that didn't seem right. And I thought about it for a while and I said, wow, you know, we're doing 500 deals a month. And I said, probably three, 400 of them are all condo work and they have all these attorney's fees and, and HOA fees that have been on there because they know the government will pay. So they tack it on. And I said, as a taxpayer, that doesn't feel right to me. And I said, so how about it, this? I'll negotiate on the behalf of the government every deal where I'll save at least $3,000, but I want 300 more on each one of my deals. And that way I can live and you guys will make a lot more money and everybody wins. Wow. So they negotiate, they put that into my contract and I um, wrote a nice little piece of paper that said the, the federal government refuses to pay these fees. <laughs> and I saved millions of dollars for the government and, um, and I ended up, you know, making it through. And that got me to learn a little bit about that, you know, that system. And uh, from then on, I understood how to bid the contracts and I start taking them on. And next thing you knew, I was all across the country doing, you know, I was their go-to guy every time a a contractor would fail. um, All kinds of stuff happened where we just took over more and more and more contracts. Yeah. That is fascinating. All right. Now, I want to get to another part of your history, which is amazing. When you went through, when everybody went through the financial crisis and all of your competitors closing doors, firing people, you actually took the contrarian approach. You expanded, you hired people, you literally doubled down. First of all, you had the vision. How did you survive that? And why did you double down? Because that really, really sort of escalated your business. Yeah. After that. So what I was talking about with all those government contracts were the 90s and up until the early 2000s. Yeah. And then 
my mortgage company then started to grow. So I ended up getting out of that business because the, the government wanted small business contractors. They didn't want large contractors. I grew into a large contractor, so I was out. So they, I know, so they said, you know, so, so that led me to just focus on my mortgage business only. And so when I was doing that, the business began to really start to take off. And now I've been around for, you know, nearly, you know, 12, 13 years in the, yeah. say, 2001, two. And as we got bigger in 2005 and six, and then when the world just shifted in 07 and eight, um, I found that, you know, everybody was upside down, right? We had class action lawsuits. We oh, had yeah. all these buyback loans, $100 million of buyback loans. I mean, yeah, the bolster funds that were out buying all this inventory. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. So I kind of, you know, I had learned earlier in my life through everything from being a father young to, you know, all the business stuff with HUD that, you know, when, when times are tough, you don't stick your head in the sand, that you need to really go and confront people and communicate. It was very important to just that's it have those hard conversations as quick as you can so i literally took a piece of paper on a clipboard and i wrote down you know i have fifty thousand square feet i need eight i have a hundred million dollars of buyback loans from bear stearns morgan stanley lehman brothers and i just went down the list and i just flew to new york and i sat in front of each group i sat in front of the lawyers everybody you could think of and just said let's figure this out you know, let's not leave this room until we, we get an answer. And um, by the time I was done, you know, because I had to either say, you're going to either tell me to pound sand or you're going to work with me. And I said, I'm going to add up all my check marks and then I'll know where I am. Right. And um, when I was done, every single group said, well, I'll work with you, Glenn. And so that felt good. And that was in 07, wow. uh, about September. Well, two of my biggest competitors went under right about then. And um, I thought, I'll never, ever get this type of, you know, opportunity, opportunity with all these great people. I mean, I've always been a small lender. And now I can go out and take these all of this wonderful relationships that they've had the bigger guys and bring them in under our roof. So I started doing that I opened five offices in uh, November, 07. <laughs> I went five more in 08 when the world really was upside down. Yeah. And these were failed offices, but they were, these people were so talented, right? And then uh, nine, in 09 and 10, we opened a hundred and something more offices. I don't remember how many at, at that point, but and just took off, you know, and we just became the largest wholesale lender in the country for years, became the second largest uh, overall lender. And uh, the first largest, you know, uh, joint venture partner group. Uh, we just, you know, we just, we just I took mean, off. Yeah, you great. know what's so interesting is that it goes back to what we were saying earlier, where you see the value in people, where right. the assets might have been falling around. You saw the true asset, which was the talent of the individuals that were part of the organization. 100%. And I, you know, I, I knew people were thinking the end is here and everything is blowing up. And I, and I understand fear because, again, I was, I was 14. Yeah. I had a child. 
And I thought the world was over and it became the best thing that ever happened to me. So here is, in, you know, it's 2007 and eight and the world's blowing up and it could be the worst thing or it could be a silver lining. Right. That's you know, right. and, and uh, when I was a young kid, my mom would take my sister and I and put her in the, put us in the car and she go, let's go kids. We're going to get lost. And we would just drive and drive. We'd end up on some farm road and she'd pull over and go, oh no, guess what? We're lost. And we would go, yay, we're lost, you know? And so for some reason, I'd been conditioned in my life to be excited about what's around the corner instead of being fearful, right? And, and so I think, you know, I just had very good luck to be programmed, if you want to use that word, into thinking that things will turn out okay. We just got to power through them, you know, and they might even turn out better than we've ever expected it. So, and that's happened in my life. So I've kind of run into the fire many times when most people are running away, you know? That's a beautiful statement though. And it's a beautiful lens to live by. And, you know, I actually, my next question was actually something about your childhood. So what <laughs> advice would give, you give your 10-year-old self with the lens that you have today? Um, I would probably tell myself to continue to embrace change and to and be excited about the opportunities. It took me, you know, probably until my 30s to realize all of those things that I was doing um, were wonderful opportunities, right? Like, in other words, when I meet and mentor a lot of young people, I might be telling you this, hey, embrace change, be, um, you know, all there's silver linings and everything, you know, all those things happen. But when you're really in it, it hurts. It's you're scary. You think not this time, I'm not getting out of it. You know, every other, but maybe everybody else, but I'm going down. And so we have these voices in our heads, and they tell us to f- it's okay to fail. They tell us to run away. And so, you know, I'm, I would tell myself to just be still, right? You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a Psalms 4610, be still and know that I am God. I would sit and I would just tell myself it's going to be okay, you know, and, and just enjoy the ride, right? Instead of sitting there. And too many times we get so muddled up in, What's what happens if it all goes away? What if you know the fear, right? And instead of just realizing there's an opportunity here, and so you know later I've learned that and I I run towards it, like I said. But you know it didn't happen overnight. It takes it takes a lot of heat and a lot of pounding on your face to figure that one out, you know. And that's a skill set. That's a that's actually an incredible lesson. That's valuable to people that are listening to this. So that's, that's really special. And um, yeah. Yeah. I think that way too. I think I usually try to make sure people understand that while it looks pretty good and it's cool to drive some fancy cars and live in a nice house and have a company, it doesn't come easy, right? It's very difficult. And for everybody is, I mean, and I say especially, but especially because I live only in myself. I felt that pain as bad as anybody else has ever felt it. And it's just about don't be, 
you know, afraid to, to think that you're, you know, you're not the only one, right? The people that have made it and, and have grown to become very successful all face their demons. They all face, you know, very trying times. And, you know, there has been in my adult life, and, and, and I mean, 2007 and eight is a great example. I was at my lowest point. I'll never forget being so low, thinking everything has been taken away just about. And then I thought, well, there's nowhere to go but up, right? Uh-huh. And, and this is a wonderful time to shine because anybody can shine when you make money. And anybody can shine in, a, in an environment where things are going well. How do you live and how do you act and how do you treat other people when things aren't going the way you plan them? Right. And that's the, to me, the true, you know, the true test of who are you at that point? And so I've been there and I realized that I said, man, every one of my greatest mentors have been in this exact spot. So it's the time to shine, you know? And then you even named your company in that manner after you sold Stern's Lending and then you started Kind Lending. And I love that name because it's, you know, what's so special is that you and I are new friends, but when I met you, it's almost by default, one of the adjectives that you use to describe you and whether it's someone that you just meet. And it was like, I said to myself, God, you know, Glenn is such a kind man. And people say that over and over about you. So I'm curious as to how you named your company and what it means to you. Well, it was um, absolutely deliberate. And, you know, I had, I had come from this company in, in my old Stearns Lending that I was very proud of. Yeah. And then I took on a partner when I um, sold you know, um, majority of it, I had a little cancer that came on. And, and so I, um, you know, I, I ran the family and I thought I'm going to go have somebody take over the company and let them deal with it, you know, the day to day. And and I'm just going to focus on my family. Well, um, their culture and mine, the way that I dealt with the company, it changed, you know, it just, we, we didn't do things the same way. And, um, and so when they, you know, kind of exited and allowed me to have my, um, ability to compete again, that, you know, I looked around and I mean, the landscape of the world, you know, there's so much, um, need, I think for kindness. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it just felt perfect to name the company kind lending, you know, because, I feel like I want to attract other people that are very, very like the very similarly, you know, um, have that same mindset because there's businesses and, th- and this is one of them, but where you say it's either kill or be killed and this is a war and let's go out there and, you know, and, and take what we can. And, and, you know, and, and I don't believe that. I think that there's enough to go around, you know, in this business and, I'm friends with all the other owners in the mortgage industry, in the mortgage space. I don't think we need to uh, live a life where, you know, it's try to take all the time. And uh, we live by, we call it servant leadership, right? I mean, I work for the people in our, in our business here. If they're going to sit and spend 
12 hours a day, more time than they see their own families. You know, I'd like to have them happy. I'd like them to live in an environment that they feel very proud of what they're building. And that reminds me of, you know, watching your company and what you guys are doing at EXP. You see very happy people, very content people. And it's not just a job, right? It's, it's a lifestyle. And so that's exactly how we've always believed it to be. I don't, I don't want to measure you by a misery index. How unhappy are you? I want to measure you by a kindness index, right? How happy are you, right? Very opposite. And, um, and it seems to work. It is sort of that humble servitude. And it was so funny because it's the same language and words that we use. And I know that we're exploring a collaboration and it just seems culturally such a beautiful fit. You know, it yeah. was that as we were all just spending time together and it just was so natural. It just seemed as though we were all old friends that had the same sensibility and it was beautiful to, to watch. Well, you know, it's funny because I looked at a lot of people at EXP that are very professional. They've been doing it a long time. They know what they're doing, right? And, you know, I think about a lot of companies that come up and they're new. They don't understand. They don't have their sea legs yet. They're getting people in and they, uh, and sometimes you do right and sometimes it doesn't work out. When you become kind of more seasoned at your company. I, you know, I've been around very long time. I hand selected the people to come back into this organization that I've known forever. And so we've worked together. We speak that shorthand, you know, we understand. And, um, and so you can understand that you want people around you that are happy that, that, you know, that are confident, right. That know what they're doing. And then it's just problem solving. You know, it was it's so funny because when we started when I first joined EXP, which is only about a year ago, it was the idea that once I understood what the mission of EXP was, then everything that I do now with the global expansion, it's all about the fact that it's a movement. I know you said it also last week, and it's the idea that we're trying to get the message out just to help as many people as possible. Yep. And And the irony, because we've got the kind movement, you know, we've got the same thing. Yeah. I love that. So I want to explore all of your reality television. So we started with Gilligan's Island that you were on with your beautiful wife and you were uh, on that show. And then you were, of course, the star of Undercover Billionaire. How did they find you? How did you become a TV star? Come on, Glenn. I was uh, just a business guy and um, and stumbled my, into Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, my my wife was a Hollywood gal yes. and she kind of stumbled in because she was on the set of Oprah when Oprah pulled her out of the audience for making animal noises. And she went from there to actually being in movies and on television and all that. So I wasn't into that. I was just being a business guy. And then somebody at my work, was a was a finalist for the Gilligan's Island show, and they said you should you should really call my boss and his wife. They'd make great howls because yeah. you know the howls. And um, so they called us. Long story short, we we ended up going in and doing the show, and then I ended up winning the show. And um, 
that's been 15, 16 years ago. So from that point on, people have been calling me all the time. Hey, do you want to do a show? I got a great idea. And I'd always, you know, ah, oh, that sounds good, but that's, that's not my thing. And, and then, um, and I said, well, I'll tell you what I would do. You can drop me off anywhere in this country with no money, with no contacts. And I said, I bet I could do it over again. I said, the, you know, we come from a land of opportunity. There's a, you know, a wonderful chance to make it big in this country. If you work hard and you surround yourself with the right people. And so I said, you ever want to do a show like that? I said, count me in. And um, yeah, they, took you up on it. they took me up on it. Discovery did. And off we went, you know. That's amazing. I love that. And so, you know, you mentioned um, your wife and I know that you both are incredibly philanthropic. And I wonder if you would just share a little bit about those efforts as well that you're working on now. Sure. So, um, by the way, so the show, I don't know when this will air, but the new show is called Undercover Billionaire. And then there's Undercover Billionaire Comeback City. So those two are airing right now as we speak. And if they're not, then guess what? Go to Hulu or go to YouTube and you'll find it. Or obviously Discovery Plus. But um, Amazing. But my wife and I, you know, live by that adage, too much is given, much is required, right? And so we have been very fortunate, both of us. And so we, you know, when we came to Orange County, you know, we got really involved. I was on a lot of nonprofit boards, like 16 at one time. Wow. I mean, oh too God. many. Wow. And I was going crazy. And so I started to realize that my time was, it wasn't working for the, the individual nonprofits. Um, so I started to kind of take a step back and hand select some that I thought were very important in my life. I did that. And we went out and we did an event, which we called Life Changing Lives where we brought the community together. We would pay for the, the show and the dinner. And we would say, you know, all the money we raise is going to go to these local community nonprofits. And so, you know, we would raise a million dollars or so, and it would be a great party for the community. We'd have 500 people come or whatever the max would fit into that room. And we would bring great, stars and lots of fun, you know, people that that would sing and dance and lots of stories. (coughs) And, and it, and it was a way to celebrate with the community, you know, all of our, I think, joint efforts to try to make a difference in the world. So. That's so beautiful. I love that. And so you're also a podcast host. You guys have a show as well called Grit Happens. You better sort of say that slowly. So, it's, so right. tell me about what your show's about. Well, since the show Undercover Billionaire, yeah. um, I've had so many people, thousands of people that keep reaching out. Hey, I'd love some mentoring. I'd love, you know, some, uh, you know, if you could uh, answer some questions and whatnot. And you know, I realized that that happened to me, right? I was given opportunities with people that just came and gave me advice at the right time in my life. And so I thought, okay, well, we're very fortunate. We have deep relationships with some pretty cool people out there. I mean, from people that have walked the moon to people that have won Super Bowls to amazing princes and different places and all kinds of crazy stuff. And 
though let's get them on the podcast let's pick their brains you know let's wow. let's get people to you know i've sat and you know in places with the vice president of the united states and a man that walked the moon and we're looking at the moon and he's telling us where he landed you know and i'm like one of you guys got to know if there's aliens around this place. Has there ever <laughs> been a alien? You know, and so it's like, okay, I want to have my friends be able to sit in these conversations that I've been able to sit in on, you know, and, and let's pick these people's brains. And so, um, you know, we've been real fortunate to do that and bring some of them uh, on the show and get other people to hear things. And then we also love to just take people's questions and try to help, you know. I love that. That's amazing. I love that. And also, congratulations on the news last week of you being cancer free. That is amazing. Congratulations. I thank you. Uh, yes, indeed. You know, I was diagnosed with colon cancer in my twenties, and so um, so it's uh, it's it's a wonderful club to be a part of. It's a yeah. It, it teaches you the appreciation and for just being alive you know yeah. and and it gives you that humble understanding that life is precious you know it's a, it's a gift in a way as long as you can you know there's a lot of pain and a lot of people that suffer and die from it and it's horrible but if you can make it through and be cancer free you know you get an opportunity to not have to take things so serious and to realize life is short you know right it's so true so i have one final question for you glenn so in your book of life, what's this chapter called? In my book of life, it's funny, I'm writing a book right now. Are you? And, uh, yeah. Um, it won't be chapter 13. Right? <laughs> it's probably called Don't Worry, Be Happy. No, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I've got a when I think about what I'm writing in the book, it really has to do with understanding that everything that life throws at you, that there's really a wonderful lesson in all of it, right? And that if we can take the good out of it, you can live a very happy life, you know? And so I've, um, you know, I see a lot of people that feel they walk around with a dark cloud and they don't understand why me. And I just think it's usually attitude, you know, I think yeah. it has a lot to do with how you're viewing yourself and where you are. And so, you know, living an authentic life where you are not afraid to expose your own flaws, um, I think it helps other people sometimes realize that even people that maybe look to have it all, uh, nobody does, right? Every one of us has been you know, has our own issues to deal with, right? And um, I don't find it, I find it helpful to expose my own flaws because I hope it, it connects with other people that, you know, that, you know, no one's got it perfect. Um, I'll give you one quick example. I know we're going, but um, I had a lady very, very upset with my wife and I because of our Facebook posts a long time ago okay. because she says, like basically F you and your perfect lives. Right. And um, I wrote her back and I said, I'm really sorry if we offended you anyway. I said, you know, there's, there's, if there was a Facebook that showed all the bad stuff, I go, I could fill that one too, you know, but usually we fill it with lots of good stuff. 
but I'm sorry if we struck a chord. And the poor lady started crying and she said, my daughter had gone through cancer and I was in a lot of pain and just you reaching out has meant so much. And we've become really close, you know? So usually when someone else is lashing out, it's usually they have their own pain inside them and you just have to be able to understand what's going on with people, right? Because we were not in their heads. We don't know. And so I think living a life where you can really try to put yourself and walk in other people's shoes sometimes will help all of us. And and I've tried to live a life like that. So That's really beautiful. And it's also about you going back and looking at the confrontation, right? And stepping into the fire because you wanted to know what was going on. I you're such a special man and it's been a privilege Glenn to uh, know you and get to know you during this process. And, you know, you've been so generous already and I am so looking forward to getting to know you better and thank you for all you've done. And thank you for being on the show today. Well, thanks Michael. I'm really looking forward to our next chapter together. I know. Like it's going to be a, it's going to be a hoot. It's going to be a fun one. We're going to have a lot of fun. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.